You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock and you're listening to episode 15 of the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. My guest this week is Evelyn MacDonald, CEO at Scottish Edge Fund. But before we start, a confession. Due to a domestic run-in, shall we say, with an electric guitar, I managed to slightly mess up the recording quality compared to my usual standards, gaining a slight hiss that I just couldn't edit away. As my penance, I have had the full episode transcribed, and you'll find that at vickybrock.com slash blog. I've tested the episode on a few people, and they've described the hiss as nothing more than the reminiscence of an old-fashioned radio, but if it drives you nuts, check out the transcription. Back to the episode. Scottish Edge is a 5 million fund that awards young companies up to 150k to grow their startups through a competition format. As CEO, Evelyn has seen more startup pitches, good and bad, than most of us would ever care to. And there's one question this week. I've distilled it down from many I have received as emails, calls, and in drunken rants. And it's this. I recently pitched for investment, and although my presentation seemed to go well, the questions I got from the investors afterwards were pretty idiotic and showed they didn't understand my business or the opportunity in front of them. I keep getting irrelevant questions and contradictory advice and suggestions. It's getting exhausting and it's becoming a huge waste of time. How am I supposed to get the money I need when I don't seem to get a fair chance? So, welcome to my living room and the agony aunt Sofa Evelyn. I bet you've never heard that question before. I've only heard that a couple of hundred times. (laughs) As you know, I set this chat up because I've seen firsthand more founders lose their investment opportunities at the Q&A stage of the pitch than through any other cause. But first, perhaps you could tell us a bit about your role as CEO at Scottish Edge and the work that you do with entrepreneurs. What we're looking to do through Scottish Edge is invest in early stage, innovative, high growth potential businesses headquartered in Scotland. And the reason we're doing that, if you you like, with the start with why, is because we're hoping that those businesses will make an economic impact in Scotland. What we're looking for, the reason we're looking for innovation is because we're looking for businesses that are more than local businesses that can sell out with Scotland, can sell in Europe and beyond and in so doing bring cash back into the economy. And also we do know from the work that we've done, the research that we've done with the businesses that we've supported, that they do tend to create high quality jobs. So you're talking about graduate jobs and above, and obviously that's important to the economy as well. So that's the kind of thinking behind it. Now with this round, we're looking to support around 30 businesses and invest around a million pounds. And we're hoping that well, based on our experience of the last few rounds, that we'll get around 225 to 250 applications coming into the competition. We usually get about 100 people coming back to us from previous rounds, and then about 125 to 150 new ones. Um, and I expect that will be a similar process. One of the reasons we get that there's people coming back is because unusually for a business competition we give feedback to every single person that comes in so we collect feedback from the judges at each stage of the process and we share that with the businesses and some people respond to that differently shall we say so some people think okay there's some good points in there there's some things I can address and if I do those things I can come back next time and other people of course think 
the judges don't know what they're talking about. This is a waste of time. I'm just going to move on. So there are different approaches. To- and I should declare now at this point that this time around, I was one of those judges. Yes. So I was a semi-final judge. Which and you've also been an edge winner. I've also been an edge winner. So I, I've been on both sides of the table. The, the very first round ever, actually, of edge, I pitched and we won money. Uh, and that was fantastic. And then almost five years later, yep. I was back the other side of the table as a judge. So it was really interesting to be the other side of the table because some listeners may be aware, and I've been out pitching, raising money as a founder, as an entrepreneur. I must have pitched at least 100 times. Mm-hmm. Some of those I did a brilliant pitch I and um, brilliant Q&A and I didn't raise money. Sometimes I did a shambolic pitch and a good Q&A and I raised money. It's an endless process, mm-hmm. but it is a process. And I've talked about this in the investment episode, and this is why I want to bring Q&A in now. What is it from an investor's perspective or from a judge? I mean, I'm going to call, talk to you guys as though you're investors because you, you are. You're making, yeah, you you're are. making yeah, an investment yeah. decision. It may work on a slightly different model, but it's still an investment decision. When you are down to these semi-final and final decision-making points, you're seeing a pitch and then you're seeing question and answers what's the thinking behind that and what decisions are you trying to make about those businesses as they stand up well, well back to what you were saying just to pick up on your point about investors yes we are the initial first four rounds of age it was grants only in a way you could put that money out there and then just see what happened when I got involved with Edge, because Edge was initially a Scottish enterprise, and then when it came out and became a private company, so we're a social enterprise, we introduced a lending element. And so it's important to us that we get that money back. That is creating our loan fund for the future. So all the repayments that come back in are going back out again as fresh awards. So we are looking at, is this a credible proposition? Are we going to get our money back on this? Or, or is it a risk worth taking, if you like? And then also the point about pitches versus QEs, they're obviously both important, but actually I think in terms of your ability to land that funding, I think you do it in the QE more than the pitch. So I think a good QE will leave judges feeling confident about your abilities because essentially anyone can kind of stand up and reel off some information, but it's your ability to respond to the sort of probing questions to the, the what is the size of the opportunity have you considered this aspect in terms of your digital marketing plan? Do you understand about costs of customer acquisition? When people get into those questions and you answer those questions confidently and you can demonstrate that you've thought through those aspects, that you've planned for them or that you have people on your team considering them, then that's when you leave the judges with that feeling of confidence that actually behind that story, there is some real meat and bones and that's something worth investing in. And it's really interesting because it's part de-risking and part understanding the context. I mean, I reckon in the last six months, pretty much since I put out an open call to talk to me about anything broadly related to startups, I've had weeks where I've seen 10, 15 startups a week. And I have to go through a process where I need to understand where they are. And I'm looking for about five things. Is this a delusion or is this real? Is there something there? Have you built something? Is there a prototype or is this a concept? And it's actually really hard to tell. And sometimes there's really obvious questions that annoy entrepreneurs so much and make them think this person doesn't understand my business. I feel is actually, you just pitched me and I'm still none the wiser whether this is a business or an idea and whether you've done anything or you haven't done anything. Not that one is necessarily wrong, but I need to understand the context of the conversation we're having. Likewise, I need to understand, yeah, this might be a great idea. This might even be a great solution, but really... Is there any reason on the planet why you are the right people to do this? Uh 
I mean, I've had tons of ideas that are great ideas, but I am not the person to execute those ideas and turn that into a business. Why you? And I think I've been informally going through that questioning process. And what I observed as a judge at Edge, but and also watching the finals and looking back at the many, many, many times I pitched to investors, that they're doing the same thing. They're trying to map you out and understand really broad things about what kind of opportunity is this? Do you understand the customer? Why now? Why you? Why this? And actually, if we inject cash, what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And where's that going to take you? And it's not a complicated framework, really. No, I think that's a good point that you've brought up, actually, is, is just what have you actually got? Because I have seen people that pitch something a lot further advanced than it actually is. And I've been guilty of that. Uh, yeah, I've seen that happen a lot of times. And I can understand that because at the end of the day, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to have a vision and you have to be seeing that completed product or service in your mind. But I also do think you need to be honest about what stage you're at and also what funding you need to get it to that point where either you're able to put something out and then iterate it as you go along, or you've got to get it to a certain level before you can release it, and that's going to cost that. Now, sometimes people say to me, it's actually going to take quite a bit of money and quite a few years before we're going to get there. And I say, look, the right investors, the right backers don't care about that. If they're excited about the team and the idea, and they can see that it might take you three, four years to get to market, and it might take another... £1.2 million, if they think it's worth doing, they'll still get involved. But what you don't want is to be trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And then in a Q&A, if it becomes apparent that actually you're not being completely honest about the money and time it's going to take, then that you get into trouble. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really interesting, the ones that have oversold where they are and oversold the vision. And sometimes they have become very good pitchers because they've been going through pitch school or oh. they've been out doing competitive pitching, which I did. You become very good at a certain style of pitching because you're not being measured on, is this a valid business? The people judging you when you're competitively pitching are not making an investment decision. They're making a decision about like how good you are at pitching. Completely different things. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people very good at pitching who are actually appalling at explaining where they really are and selling this as an investment opportunity as opposed to something kind of like to get super excited about. Yeah, yeah. But it surprises me the number of people in pitches that I've observed, not just at Edge, but at angel clubs where you go and you see everybody else's pitch or open pitching things, you have absolutely no idea of their financials. Uh -huh. I mean, literally, they get destroyed because they can't, talk about the numbers of their business, cost of acquisitions, you say, how much is it going to take to get a customer? How much is that customer going to be worth? Uh -huh. The basics of what's the, what's the value value business or exactly. not. I think people practice their pitch over, and you can do that on your own. So you can practice your pitch in front of the bathroom mirror. You can practice your pitch when you're driving. So lots of people practice their, their pitch over and over again. They don't practice enough Q&A. Get different people. Get your most challenging friends. Get your most challenging business contacts. Sit them down. Get them to keep asking you questions over and over again. And make sure that if you can't answer it, you go away and think about why you can't answer it. You research it. And then the next time you can answer it so that you are actually at that stage where you think you can throw just about anything at me and then of course if you do get the situation where if you've ha confidently handled a bunch of questions and then you get one thrown at you you can't answer the fact that you've done well with the rest mm -hmm. you can say I can't answer that but that's a good question I'm going to go away and look at that and then move on to the next one so yeah I think I think practicing your Q&A is so important but can we go back to the point earlier about you were saying that the question you got is panel don't understand my proposition well then I would have to say 
that's on you. If you've had three to five minutes, or even some people get 10 minutes to pitch, and you then don't get good questions, what's gone wrong with your pitch is what I would say. Because if the panel don't understand your business after your pitch, there's something wrong in how you are presenting your business and your opportunity. And that's the point, is that in a pitch, when you are having any kind of investment conversation, that's particularly in a pitch environment, it's not just Edge where you will do that. If you're going to angel funds like Angel Academy, where I raised money from, Angel Dem, where I raised money from, these are structured exactly the same as Edge. A five to 10 minute pitch and then 10 to 15 minutes Q&A, the timings vary but the structure is the same. If you don't understand that what you're selling is not your technology and not the minutiae of how it works, you are standing there selling an investment opportunity. I talked about it in an episode with with Anne Ravenona, but you're selling a pie. Invest in the ingredients to my pie and we're going to make this amazing pie and it's going to get bigger. It's a business opportunity that you're selling. And if you're feeling very frustrated, people don't understand your business or your technology or they just didn't get it, I think you have to look at yourself and go, what did I fail to convey about what my go-to-market strategy is? What did I fail to convey about how I make money out of this? Mm-hmm. What what type of business this is? Because if you're not getting that across, it yeah, is on you. Uh-huh. What you want to get is you want the, pe- the people sitting asking you the questions to be excited about the opportunity and to be excited about the opportunity for you to deliver that on that, you know, to, to also buy into you as a person. So they want to see your enthusiasm and your passion and they want to get what's possible there, what you can actually do with this, how you can take this money and grow this this idea. So it's really key to get that over. And that's why I think constantly practicing your Q&A and making sure that you've got slick, still enthusiastic, obviously there's always the difficulty if you over-practice, but you know, slick, enthusiastic answers to questions. The other thing as well is I think succinct is really important. So you get seven minutes for Q&A at age, um, so less than in some other investment situations. And I've seen people only manage to get three questions in their seven minutes because mm-hmm. they just go on and on and on and on. And of course, the judges switch off, the audience switches yeah. off, and the judges don't get a chance to ask the questions they want. So they're left feeling slightly frustrated and they haven't addressed the opportunities or the issues and therefore, there's no way you're going to do as well as the next person that comes on and manages to answer 14 questions in seven minutes, slickly, succinctly, know their answers, judges finish feeling confident. There's nothing I couldn't ask that person. It's interesting. I took my chairman to a practice Q&A when we were raising money. It was actually the round that we did the quickest. We raised the most money that we ever did in the shortest amount of time. It was a complete dream of investment round, which hardly ever happens. Yeah. But she came with me to the pitch practice and the Q&A and she made the observation that I worked up to my answer. She said, you know, you get to a really concise point in the end, but you need to turn the pyramid upside down. You need to start with the salient point and add some detail to it and then shut up. And yes, we can do that. We've thought about this and this is why. Uh-huh. Whereas I was answering it, yeah, we've done all of these things, blah, 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 which means we've thought about that. And it was uh-huh. literally all the same information. It was just flipping the pyramid uh-huh. around so that you decisively, firmly, confidently answer the question, pause, and then perhaps give a little bit more and then context shut up. And then shut up. Yes, that's the thing. That's actually the tricky thing in this situation, especially when obviously you're hugely nervous. And when we're nervous, we tend to talk too much. So I think learning when to shut up, when to get the information over and then stop, smile, stop, let them get the next question in. Oh yeah, I've seen some Q&As where you just want to run up and put your hands over the person's mouth and say, stop 
talking now. You were doing okay, and now literally every word that comes out of your mouth is making this worse, especially when it's self-depreciating or it's about negative things or it's self-criticism. I mean, I do remember once doing this in an investment meeting where I was stressed, I was tired, I was overwrought, and I was just too frank about all the things that were going wrong. You can't do that either. Although I'm a big fan of authenticity, but there's also oversharing as well. It's It's tricky to get that balance. But you're right, I sit in the front row at every age final, and I write down every question and a summary of the answer so that when we have conversations with people afterwards, I can say, okay, you were asked this, and this is how you answered it in summary. And I, I watch people lose it on the Q&A. There's very few people come to an edge final now and don't pitch well, mm-hmm. actually, because I think they, you know, they realise they're pitching in front of an audience of 300 people. They realise that it's, it's high-profile judges. There's a lot at stake. So there's a lot of practice. So I think most people come on and acquit themselves well. I watch them lose it in the Q&A. Because yeah. I watched that. I mean, there was one in the, the last round where the Q&A just revealed a whole area of knowledge that this business didn't have. Now, Subsequently to that, I was able to discuss that with this entrepreneur. I have matched him with three other age winners who are all assisting him to address that skills gap. And I'm now confident that if he came back and he was asked any questions in that area at all, he would now be able to address that. But it was just one of those things where Mm. the Q&A sadly revealed a whole lack of knowledge around digital marketing, cost of customer acquisition numbers, if you Mm -hmm. like, and and they just couldn't get past that. I think that's one of the things that the entrepreneur needs to do is control their nerves and stop and listen to the question behind the question. Because people have said to me, oh, how can I possibly prepare for all these questions? I've got no idea what the questions are going to be. And I've said, well, actually, no, you have. There's five buckets of questions, pretty much. Have answers to your five buckets of questions and pause and go, right, which risk or which bucket of concerns is this question really about? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's only going to be about a few things. It's going to be about whether you're the right people to do it, whether you understand both the problem and the solution, mm-hmm. whether you clearly understand who your market segment is and why that is the right market segment and what they're going to be commercially worth. One bucket of questions is literally about the business model viability. If you do all the things that you're going to say you do, is it possible to make money? Have you thought about all the costs? And the final one is really kind of, What do you need next and where is that going to get you? And are you realistic enough in your understanding of your costs to really be able to get where you're going on what you're asking for? I mean, there's not that many things these questions really about. You're right. And as a judge, Fred, you'll know that you were asked to score against six criteria. And that's the same six criteria we use all the way through age. And so we say the judges always ask questions around that because they're also under pressure to score against those six criteria. And in order to do that, They have to pick up their scores against those through listening to the pitch and asking questions. So back to what you were saying, individual buckets of questions, you're absolutely right. There's not that many. They're they're going to fall into the criteria that that particular organisation are assessing against. And as you see, there's just some standard areas. And that's still true when you go out to angel funds. So I reckon I probably pitched to maybe over the years, I maybe pitched to about 25, 30 different angel groups. And... They had their own little areas. Um, For example, if I was pitching to a group that only invested in enterprise software as a service, Mm -hmm. they're not going to ask you if you're an enterprise software as a service. You wouldn't be in the room Uh about that. They get much, much more granular. So the questions that they're asking are things that they've seen before. Is like, how much of a software as a service is this really? Or have you got a really big amount of customization? You've got loads of setup. 
Where's your rationale on the pricing? How replicable is this? They're asking very intelligent questions around software as a service. But for you to be able to have that conversation, they need to be able to map to you. Okay, right. They're enterprise. They're software as a service. They're talking to retail. I understand the context. Now we get into the questions. And I think sometimes when you see Q&As, they seem to have not got the point. It's because the entrepreneur hasn't given them enough to help them map. All right, this is a product. This is a licensing business model. It's aimed at this market. This is how they're going to make money or care. I get the basic gist of what this is. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now I can ask questions. I think sometimes you see when the questions are all over the place, it's those investors still trying to go, I don't get the business model. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true, actually. So some something's gone wrong in the pitch in terms of getting that over. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think you've mentioned in, in previous podcasts about the importance of getting to know your audience as well. You know, I mean, at Edge, I would think, well, what are the Edge judges looking for? So they're looking for economic impact and innovation. So that's that's your key things that you're looking for. So to go on the edge stage and not understand your numbers or the size of your opportunity would be crazy because that's obviously what this is about for age. And I think getting to know, I mean, even speaking to the gate, gatekeepers to funds as well and finding out the sort of areas that typically they ask questions about, the things that really matter to them, on top of just as you see, looking at those five buckets of questions and making sure you're prepared for those. So doing your homework as well can be really helpful. And you'll find that in an fund for example but even an early stage vc you'll see from the deals they do what their interest is but most of them I and mean, again angel academy astia both of whom i, I had money from they, they spell this out on their website mm-hmm. this is what we're looking for this is the kind of deal that we type like to do these are the kind of sectors we tend to look at this is the type of opportunity that is relevant for us mm-hmm. and then you need to go in and a check off those boxes And then excite them about why this of the 10 that they're seeing this evening is one that they really need to write a check for now. You can't, nor should you, berate the audience for not having the skills to be able to deliver your business because that's not what they're there for. They're there to provide you with fuel to get you to the next stop on your journey. And you have got to build a really credible case and this is in the Q&A, this is not in the pitch because you just can't get this detailed in a pitch. In pitch. You've got to build a really credible case of what you need the fuel for, where you're going, why you are sure enough of your numbers that this fuel is going to get you there, and what that next step actually looks like. Because mm-hmm. they're sitting there going, nobody's wanting you to fail, I don't think. Nobody's going to waste their time and energy to sit there and wait, want you to fail, but they do want to de-risk it for them and anything at all that makes them nervous about what you're saying or that undermines your credibility. Yes, because we always hear when the, the judges turn up for the edge final, we're presenting them 22 business cases that we've whittled down from over 200. Usually what, what we hear in the room in the morning is, this is really exciting. Any of these could be the ones that we put money into. The places they don't tend to go into the, the stage with preconceptions that are open to all of those businesses. And yeah, it's the ones that give them confidence at the end of the day. And that, I think, is what comes out of the Q&A. And I think one of the other interesting things about the Q&A versus the pitch part of it is the Q&A is where you get to be authentically you. They get to actually be authentically them and ask questions. And although it's hard for you as the entrepreneur, this is where you're really doing your dating in a way, isn't it? This is a little bit like, do I like them and do they like me? Oh, I completely agree with that because I've heard this thing that obviously... 
you know, like five years ago in Scotland, hardly anybody knew how to stand up and do a pitch. And now I think there's a recognition of how important that is. There's a lot of people doing pitch training. You can watch great videos. There's lots of people to give advice. So most people can stand up and deliver a pitch. And sometimes that comes over in a very sort of almost like they're recording a scene in a movie mm-hmm. or it's not it's not necessarily them. And so what is nice is seeing in the Q&A that they relax a little bit because that sort of practised scene is over and then you get to know them you get an insight into them and how they think and how they respond that's what people buy into yeah and I can count on one hand in open Q&A where I was ever asked anything that truly was an inappropriate or um, alarm bell ringing question mm-hmm. I mean I had a few like somebody did genuinely ask me if I was planning to have baby anytime soon right which which knocked me off my course a because it was like your brain goes that's an illegal question or like I just can't believe you asked that question it actually flustered me uh-huh well it flustered the unexpected yes and I was in another context where somebody asked a question about the fact that my husband was in the business because they don't invest in couples ever mm-hmm and again, now I'm sure those things come up behind closed doors for certain types of investors all the time, but those things flummoxed me in an open environment because I was hearing them for the first time. But probably the other kind of 200 questions I asked were really and truly perfectly reasonable questions that is perfectly reasonable that I should know the answer to mm-hmm. or be able to go, ah, perhaps I wasn't clear on explaining that this is x and it works this way and to give them clarification it's an interesting opportunity to you yourself to measure actually are these people i want to take money from and the best conversation always happens uh, off record being pressed but we were talking about um referencing investors we're talking about understanding that you have a choice too and that you shouldn't be so desperate to accept anything or to show your desperation on that stage or in that environment when you're yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like to think that one of the reasons we've got a good engagement in edge actually is because we've demonstrated that we're good investors, that we care about the businesses that we invest in, that it's not just about the cash for us, it's about the connections, it's about the community, it's about the mentoring, it's about the training. It's I, I like to say that you know we, we're quite a small team, so we rely on working with, with lots of other organisations in Scotland, but we like to think of ourselves as sort of sitting in the heart of that, and we can honestly say, talk to that person, don't talk to that person. These ones will help, that one maybe avoid, almost like, I guess, a, a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we're playing that role, I think you also need to look at if you are getting into bed with investors, if you are pitching or funding do you actually want to work with that organisation? Do you want to work with the individuals they may appoint to your business? Mm-hmm. You, you absolutely need to consider that. In the same way that you would with taking on members of your team or your employees, you need to, to consider that when you're taking on money. And I think, sadly, you know, as we were talking about earlier, people get desperate for cash and they don't think about those things. Yeah. Um, and then that, that's when the problems start, in my many years of experience. Yeah. And if you get a warning at the pitching stage that somebody is a not pleasant person or a nasty bully you can sure as hell know that two years down the line when your back is against the wall and you've all got to make some really tough decisions this isn't going to play well for you yeah that's a great thing about what you're doing vicky i think which is that 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 encouraging people to talk about the realities of business about some unpleasant experiences perhaps not on air but in private talking about some unpleasant individuals 
I think sometimes entrepreneurs internalise too much. They they don't want to talk about what's going wrong. You know, they maybe have, have one advisor that they'll speak to, but they're not generally talking to a community of people. And I think encouraging entrepreneurs to do that, I think, is really important because, as you see, you always find someone who's gone through that issue, who's made that mistake. And the great thing, I think, in Scotland is that we are a bit of a caring, sharing community and you will always find somebody who is happy to talk you through how they dealt with something or give you some advice on even dealing with someone and, and help you forward. And I think for the people who are jealous that they're not in Scotland, Scotland as a country has made a significant investment in becoming a startup-friendly entrepreneurial country. But, you know, we see the same things happening in, in certain regions of the US where a lot of money ha- has gone in. Wendy Lee is doing it in, I think, in Cincinnati, Detroit, Israel, you know, there's there's lots of areas and there's lots of regions and countries where they're all in their own way. In Singapore, it's a classic one, investing in startups and investing in entrepreneurship. And so the people in those environments have got the benefit of being able to take advantage of each other and have better information flow. But don't sit there alone and isolated in this. Although I will tell you off, if you ask me more than three times, about what's going wrong with your Q&A and then you don't listen to the answer. I will get quite angry. I'll get, I'll get quite angry if you don't listen twice. Even I saw an amazing example of good listening this year at Edge in that one company came in and it was really difficult for me as a judge to understand if their product existed or not. Mm-hmm. And they did their pitch telling us like, it will do, it will do, it will do. But it was really hard to make an investment decision based mm-hmm. on, will it? How do yeah, I ever know? Work? Uh-huh. And they came back and they really took that feedback on board, didn't they? And they showed it, the prototype and delivered a big picture of it. They talked about how it was now in their garage and it was working. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they'd made the leap from this being intangible to tangible, all based on feedback. And they nailed it and they got their money. Mm-hmm. And that was really rewarding. But you were also able to help someone else. We saw that day who was pitching something but focusing on one part of it rather yeah. than the bigger picture. And obviously, you revisited that with that individual. They then came back and pitched again, coming at it from a completely different, actually much more, a massive opportunity, actually, presenting it as a much bigger opportunity and then secured funding next time. So again, that was a brilliant case of taking advice, putting it into action and then completely nailing it. Absolutely. That's the difference between an entrepreneur and a founder who's going to succeed and one that's just making excuses Uh for everything that's going wrong. I wondered if there's any last piece of advice for the entrepreneurs listening, not just necessarily those that are thinking that they might apply for Edge, but those that have got a year ahead of them where they're going to be out pitching, fundraising, tackling these Q&As, there, is there one thing that they should just try to remember? Well, well I think the key thing is actually to, to make sure you've got your answers prepared in advance. So practice those answers and make sure, you know, back to what you were saying, that you get them out very concisely. And also, I think, have some key points that you want to go over that sit well within those answers as well. So if there's two or three things you really want to say, can you weave them into answers to make sure that you definitely get those points over? So when those questions come up, you get a chance to to make the key points that you know will get over. That's the size of that opportunity and your ability to deliver it. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Evelyn McDonald, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. And this week's episode is transcribed at vickybrock.com slash blog. You can subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, iTunes, and many more. Mm-hmm.